Good morning again. Let's take our scriptures this morning and turn to two passages, the book of 1 Thessalonians and the book of Titus. We want to continue to investigate uh, scripturally uh, our theme for this year, typically in January, uh, which is not atypical for ministries that are intentional about doing the Great Commission. They announce a theme and they'll have uh, a short time in the Word of God for the month of January, focusing on that theme. And our theme this year is looking and living. How does anticipating the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ help, assist, govern our living? Uh, we looked together uh, at the life of two Old Testament believers. And uh, we discovered their lives in which they lived uh, with, with detail, spiritual detail. I really believe that the scripture attaches um, an expectation to see the Lord Jesus Christ in person for believers. It attaches that expectation to their living. And Simeon and Anna certainly uh, had uh, righteous and holy lives in light of their expectation. The New Testament does the same thing. And we've already explained to you in weeks previous, our expectation is the anticipation of seeing the Lord in the air. And the Bible outlines that for us in 1 Thessalonians. I want to draw your attention again to the book of Titus uh, that we looked at uh, very, very uh, quickly in preparation for 1 Thessalonians. But I want to discover here a little bit more detail in this text in relationship to how our anticipation uh, should govern our living. It is a comprehensive help to the governance of our living. It really is. Uh, just like knowing the Lord Jesus Christ by his grace as our personal savior, which is essential to governing our living, uh, looking forward to seeing him uh, does the same thing. You'll remember that we looked in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, speaking of the Lord's first advent, the Lord Jesus Christ's first advent, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And then the sentence continues with our uh, continual opportunity or obligation, if you will, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to live holy, right? To redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. So as we continue to look, there's also something spiritually organic going on here that is to influence every one of our lives with great detail. Lawless deeds were saved from, continue, continues to purify us, and we we noticed last time we were together, to, to cross-reference there, 1 John 3, 1 through 3, this is a, this is a group of believers uh, that Paul, through Titus, is encouraging the Cretan believers to be zealous for good works. But then he says something here in verse 15 that gets even more precise. These things speak. In other words, there's a proclamation here. Speak. Proclaim them and exhort. 
I would call that not just proclamation, but application. And we're going to explain what these things are within the context. Proclaim these things, apply these truths to your lives, and reprove, correction. There's a corrective that may need to be made in our lives, and to do so with all authority. And he tells Pastor Titus here, don't let one soul disregard you. That sounds like pretty heavy-handed language, doesn't it? Well, I think with you understand the context of what was going on in the Cretan church at this particular time, I really do believe that this is not what we would call prescriptive admonition, but this is descriptive, but they had to be very, very pointed. Some of these people had been radically influenced into sensual living uh, as believers that God had saved them out of, and and there needed to be a, a, a loud proclamation, a very clear application, and a very firm correction to the way they were living. And all of this is accompanied or added to looking for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is, this is not a guilt trip kind of thing, but it's a very sincere exhortation. If you are assuming that the Lord Jesus could appear imminently, certainly you would want to be found living this way. It just is what it is, folks. But I want to let you know that these things here is not grammatically attached merely to verses 11 to 14. These things applies to all the the directives that the Apostle Paul has given to Titus in chapters 1 and 2 thus far. In light of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, let's make sure that we're going to wisely choose our leadership. That's chapter 1 and verse 5. We're going to wisely choose our leadership. And in, in light of the announcement we gave a little bit earlier, those who are expectantly awaiting the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ are certainly going to be interested in being wisely governed by spirit-filled, qualified men. This is going to include the confrontation of doctrinal error in the church. Those who are expecting with great anticipation the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll choose leaders wisely and they'll stand against error firmly. Titus chapter 2, those who are imminently expecting or anticipating the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, even the way the older men and the older women of the church interact with the younger men and the younger women is going to be influenced with great detail. You're familiar with Titus chapter 2. You're familiar with what we try to do as a church of continually coming up with creative ways uh, within scriptural confines of how we can get these two age groups functioning together in disciple-making efforts. And we do that because we're looking for the appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. All these things we want to be found doing. We find out in chapter 2 and verse 9 that even those who get up and go to work every day They live in light of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They want to be found with a biblical work ethic, governed by God's grace in the workplace. They want to be found as a worker, being well-pleasing and not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Speak these things, exhort with these things, and reprove with all authority. Now, the authority here is not, my friends, a top-heavy, heavy-handed authority. The Apostle Paul speaks, yes, with apostolic authority. Yes, he's being governed by the Spirit of God to pen these words to Titus. Titus has been appointed to be the pastor-teacher of this church. So with those thoughts in mind, with this, the nature of this kind of divine authority, this is God's word. Remember, if you're anticipating well, you will be living well to this kind of detail. So we go back over to 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we get even more particular in relationship to how we live as we look for the Savior. We mentioned the last time we were together that each chapter of this short letter concludes with a mention of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, part of, not all, of the second letter to the Thessalonians included an admonition to those who were looking so much forward to the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ that they stopped living life. And Paul had to correct them. They, they quit their jobs. Right? They sold their goods. And they were just waiting for Christ to come. And the Apostle Paul had to correct them. Point them out as being disobedient. Because why? If we're expecting to see the Lord Jesus Christ, looking always leads to proper living. You don't quit living because Jesus is coming. Uh, we live in all these layers with integrity because he is coming. And we noticed last time that we don't live with great anticipation of his imminent return alone. There's no such thing as a Christian that lives on their own island, in Scripture anyway. I know that there is such a thing uh, in the church. But all those who are living alone are encouraged to live this journey this, that we call life with others so that we can encourage each other that the Lord Jesus is coming. We need to hear that from one another. I know that discipleship has become quite a fad in the last decade, and we like to call it disciple-making here, but this is really the mandate of the whole New Testament church. The idea is to go, win, shepherd, and then live together in light of the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is just what believers do. And I don't want to overemphasize this, but our lives are lived to look for Jesus and then live 
and we do this together. We look together, we anticipate together, and we live out these various aspects of life by encouraging each other according to the word how to do that. I grew up in a kind of Christianity that was very independent. I was trained in my seminary training and to be independent, live independently for the Lord as a believer, and then make sure your church is independently living out the Word of God and their existence in your community. And, and we heard that word often, do this, do this. Uh, it was almost a, an Americanism that infiltrated our ranks. You know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and do this. Just get the job done. And yet, we never find the word independent used one time in all the Bible. We do this together. We encourage each other to keep looking up while we encourage each other to keep looking around. I think that kind of Christianity has given birth to many even in our time. Those in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s who were taught for years, and these are good people, these are quality people, to go this journey alone. To the point where an invitation to go this journey with someone else is very awkward. Because it's something that they're not used to doing. I had a pastor even this week in Florida come up to me. He's a pastor from Virginia. And he said, you know, I get what the Word of God is saying more and more now. He's a guy that's a little bit older than I am. And uh, he said, we've been going this alone. We've been going this alone. It's, a, it's an aha moment even for pastors who have preached on the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who have, who have preached the end of 1 Thessalonians 4. Encourage one another and comfort one another with these words. They've preached through all the one another's of Scripture. And yet, it's almost like we preach these things within certain time frames or opportunities within, within a certain week or month or this year. We're going to practice the one another's. We're going to preach through the one another's. But when that year's done, this is something that's perpetual. All right? Often, even the grammar of the New Testament teaches us that this is not a one-time mandate all right? But this is an ongoing practice. We're always looking and everyone's always helping each other live out the details of the Scriptures. And, and imperfectly so, for sure. No one claims here perfection in all these, all these details, but certainly progress in understanding and learning them. We studied together with the very nature of, the very nature of this togetherness was started by God and will be continued by God and it will end with God. We saw that in chapter 5 and chapter 1. We began to see last time we were together that this, this uh, opportunity that was birthed in the very nature of God and the purposes of God is nurtured in the New Testament local church. Our church, it's nurtured by one another. We found out last time in, in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, that immediately after conversion, there's this opportunity to connect 
with someone that's more mature than you are. I find these connections throughout the New Testament, particularly within this text, and these are connections that have no end. You study Christian relationships and those assisting others within local churches or even interdependently among other churches. These are relationships that begin and they continue and they don't end until death do us part. Okay? We're just not merely opportunistic to situationally and temporarily take advantage of these Christian relationships. These are things that continue. Even those that worked in multiple churches in multiple areas. Think of Priscilla and Aquila and their ministry with Paul. Barnabas and his ministry to Paul. Titus and his ministry with Paul. Silas and his ministry with Paul. Even John Mark, though unwittingly or unwisely a separation for a time, Paul was willing to do what? In the sunset years of his ministry. Welcome him back because what God begins in New Testament work, he intends to continue until death do us part. This is just something we do, and we do it together. So in our context, in our local church, all we're simply trying to do is to connect every one of us with at least one person who's more spiritually mature than we. And I would ask you again, have you, have you submitted your will, teach these things, right? Proclaim them, apply them, and bring the corrective, and do so with all authority. Have you submitted yourself to following someone more mature than you? We're trying to get this done comprehensively. It's a joy as a pastor to have those say, I'm ready, and then we have to spend our whole work week bringing those relationships to fruition. But it's, a, it's an obligation that we have as pastors to make sure that everyone here that would say that their church is Grace Church of Mentor, to make sure that they're personally going through this journey together with somebody. And this is just what the New Testament church does. This has many, many benefits that we'll look at next week together in those natural results. But how, how as we continue to go through this short five-chapter letter, are these relationships... Uh, nurtured continually. Let's go over to chapter 2. We looked at that a little bit last time we were together. And we looked at the disposition with which these relationships are nurtured. We're not going to go back and, and, and rehash that. You can do so on uh, the, the video recording of what we discussed in chapter 2. But there's a disposition that comes along with this relationship. It's interesting to me... Um, Again, I'll speak just in context to the way I was reared, uh, that, that we struggled with disposition a lot. It seems to me that when someone just preaches God's word and the mandate is laid out there for people just to individually obey it, and then they're left alone in doing that outside just a Sunday school or a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or Wednesday night, uh, there seems to be, at least in my history, uh, an unbiblical disposition that seems to uh, permeate itself through flocks that just simply learn in public venues. There seems to be an impatience that's developed 
among the leadership and the people. A terseness, a harshness, a hardness. It almost becomes uh, uh, purely didactic-like in nature. It almost seems like an institutional keeping of rules. When we just preach it or teach it and expect people to go it alone. It can appear that from leadership, the, the, the preaching um, and then just leaving the people alone to apply it and to live it, uh, the preaching is really unrealistic and idealistic. An idealism. There's a, there's a reality in the way I was reared and the, when people preached that they just expected people to hear it, understand it, and live it alone without help. And that's not the way the Bible teaches the Christian life to be lived. Amen. And I look back over my shoulder now with shame. So many years of my pastoral ministry as a youth pastor and even here in the early days, uh, an unwise impatience in my own heart with the people of God. So I've preached this. I've preached this. I've preached this. Why aren't they doing it? Why aren't they living it? And the older I get and the more you understand Scripture, it's a whole lot easier to obey the Word of God when you get to do it with somebody. There's a, there's a holy, H-O-L-Y. There's a holy transparency that is cultivated in the Christian walk when we have the opportunity to walk it with somebody. I used to read, right, James 5, confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. You know how awkward that is if you're going to a church that's merely institutional? So I go to church four times a week and I sit with people we hear God's word taught and proclaimed. We tithe, we serve, we go home. All my life, when I read that text, I wondered, how in the world do I just show up on a Sunday and sit down and weep with somebody? I guess the rejoicing side was pretty easy, right? But did we really do that together? It's awkward when you haven't, you know, you haven't earned, right, the opportunity in someone's life to sit down and weep with them. There's an ease, if I can say that. There should be an intimate ease among God's people if we're looking together and living together to just sit down and rejoice and weep together. There should be. Maybe you feel that same awkwardness I felt growing up this morning. And maybe we can go together and find out how to overcome that awkwardness. Because you may need someone to weep with. You may need someone to rejoice with. And I know, my friends, I know. Some of you have emailed me, you've texted me, you've called me, and you say, Pastor Tim, I've done this for so long, I just can't imagine doing this together with somebody else. And I understand. I understand. 
But if we can help you do this with the proper disposition as we looked at in chapter 2, then I really think when you look at verse 13 of chapter 2, some other beautiful things are happening there. I think we have a better understanding of God's Word individually. When we're looking together and living together, when we individually look into God's Word, what's happening? For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the Word of God which you heard from us, you individually accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really was, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So what we begin together and continue with the right disposition, there's some personal fruit. There is a, there is a deeper, um, fuller, more complete, wiser understanding of the Word when you actually sit down as an individual to read it. You even, you listen to the Word, you even read the Word differently than when you did when you were going it alone. It's no longer merely an academic exercise to make sure I'm following along with my annual reading plan. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you sit down, you say, wow, this book must transform me because I've got to help this book mean something to my discipler. They've got to understand it. They've got to know how to live it. And I've got to help them. There's a different way to read the book when you're leading somebody else and when you're following somebody else more mature than you. The word receive here in this text means to receive with open arms. It means to fully embrace and then you cross-reference here next to verse 13, James 1.25, the perfect law of liberty, which is synonym for the Scriptures. Right? Being a faithful hearer, then a faithful what? Doer, you will be blessed in your deed. But that's never merely alone. We read the Word of God individually, but we're influenced to share that Word to help others and to be helped of others and how to live it. We'll go deeper into that text when we get to the natural results next week because verse 14 continues with some of the natural results. But let's continue on into chapter 3 this morning. Chapter 3. You may have been with me when I've asked you to do this before, but I want you to find the word faith at the end of chapter, verse number 2. And underline it if you wish. I want you to find it as mentioned in verse number 5. I also sent to find out about your faith. I want you to find it again in verse 6. You'll see it again in verse 7. We were comforted about you through your faith. And you'll find it for a fifth and final time at the end of verse 10. Those who are truly born again, who are following someone more mature than they, who manifest a spirit-filled disposition as they train one another and walk with one another, those who are individually constantly being fed the Word of God so that they can assist others live the Word of God, this is going to be a people that is constantly and regularly concerned 
about the condition, if you will, of the faith of others in their local church. It's clear within this passage, as you read chapter 3 on your own, that the faith of the Thessalonican church was healthy. As a matter of fact, Paul says that. Verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? You can jump back up really to verse 7. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. They were a healthy church because they were assisting one another in their walk. And that health brought great joy to their founder, (laughs) their human founder, the Apostle Paul. As you study the birth of this church in Acts 17, But there were, the strength of their faith is detailed here. We've detailed it for you. Pastor Tegan Jost down in Florida this last week detailed it for us again. They were able to interdependently strengthen each other so they could endure through what? And towards what? Endure through what? And pursue what? What does it say here? Verse 2, And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these what? These afflictions. These afflictions. For yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass. And you folks know this. This healthy faith, this interdependent, healthy, expectant faith has quite a few fingerprints and footprints to it. These people were able to endure through affliction. Now, from what I understand from the Greek grammar of this word affliction, it's the most general term for affliction used in all the scriptures. Okay? This is any degree of affliction. Someone in our church this week said, hey, we were at the hospital, we're on our way home from the hospital because our baby had RSV, but everything's fine. Just wanted to let you know. They might have considered that a light affliction. I don't know. Anytime I see a baby struggling to breathe, that's not light to me. (laughs) But they handled it as a light affliction. Uh, And then you get a call that a spouse has passed away, and you have that guttural, empty feeling. this This is a much greater degree of an affliction. You get a call from a from someone who's recently been saved and and, and, and they, they've been disowned by their siblings or maybe by a, a living parent. And uh, that's grief uh, of the greatest kind. Um, regardless of the degree of the affliction, these people were able to assist each other through that affliction. And I, I'm seeing that becoming more and more just a normal, natural culture at Grace Church. You are assisting each other through these afflictions. Whereas the old-fashioned way to do church, as I've referenced 
uh, much of my rearing, which I'm super thankful for, it was, if you are in any degree of affliction, what's the first thing we do? We pick up the phone and we call, call the pastor. Call the pastor. Now certainly, certainly nothing wrong with that. But what I'm noticing here is the pastors are just one among quite a number of people that are informed. You seek to walk it together, and you should. Okay. Teenagers, career, young people. This is natural in the Christian life. God has not called you to live the Christian life alone. And it should alarm your heart if you want to come to church and then be alone during the week in your Christian walk. Okay. This is what we do together. When you go through difficult times, you need the Lord, you need His Word, and you need the people of God to help you through afflictions. Had a wonderful third meeting since the salvation or the conversion of one of Noah's football friends. We met at Panera. I think it was Friday. And we opened up God's Word together. And this is a boy that is pretty much certain that he's, he's lost his football career from a, a, a knee injury suffered the first week of the season. Okay. Um, I, I believe his countenance is different. His, uh, his eyes are full of joy. He, he, the way he expresses himself is probably more mature than the way I handled my, you know, career athletic ending injuries in high school as a kid that grew up in a Christian home. I sat across from the table and I said, Frankie, man, you are doing such a better job than I did. And he goes, well, when... Your family entered my life, and I, I came to know Jesus. My life's changed forever. And he said, God's just helping me get through it, and it's going to be okay. Just, he's ministering to me. I'm trying to minister to him. But it's got to be a tremendous load of affliction on his heart. But it's handled as we do this together. I said, I look forward to continuing to meet with you. I said, Noah and I met every week of his senior year before he left. I said, would you mind if we just continue to meet together? And he said, I can't wait. So I look forward to it. Amen. And we looked at James chapter 1 together and how God's grace helps us walk through trials together. I said, Frankie, you know what? You're never going to be alone through this. The Lord's with you. I said, and I'm not going anywhere. You're not going to have to go this alone. He had a big old smile on his face. He goes, okay. You know, okay. I said, Frankie, can you think of somebody else on the football team maybe that is struggling the same way you are with this physical injury that we could begin to pray that would come to know Jesus too? And he goes, yeah. Yeah. I said, next time we get together, I want you to tell me who that is and let's start praying together that we can reach that guy. Okay. All right. So I praise the Lord. God never intended us to go through afflictions alone. So I ask you, are you? I would encourage you, right? I will proclaim to you, and I will apply this to you, but then I would also desire to bring about a corrective in your life. Change that, okay? Change that. 
Don't go it alone. God didn't intend that. Well, the continued nurturing of this healthy faith, remember this is a healthy faith, this is a healthy expectant faith, they, they help each other through affliction. Okay. But what does he say here as we continue on in verse number five? For this reason, what I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Now, if you look at that phrase, our labor would be in vain, the Apostle Paul's trying to convey to us here that that temptation, when we fall to it, can undo very quickly all that grace has done in your life. It can't take your salvation away. But it can certainly turn your growth upside down and inside out, can it? Right? Right? Again, I, I don't want to come across this throwing the way in which I was reared completely under the bus. But the exhortation to live life independently and autonomously gave birth to many believers, especially a ton of teenagers and children, facing normal temptation alone. Not knowing wisely how to deal with that temptation, subsequently falling to that temptation, and then much, sometimes if not all, apart from their salvation that had been done to grow them in their faith since their conversion, was undone. And then what happens? There's always a biblical guilt that comes when we sin and fall to temptation. But then once you fall and that guilt has come, you entered into that temptation without the help of somebody else. And so now you've got to live through the guilt of the failure without anyone else around you. And so it becomes incredibly easy for biblical guilt to become satanic guilt. There is a biblical and an unbiblical guilt, if I can put it that way. Satan's desire is to undo everything that God's done in your life. I could reference... For weeks, honestly. For weeks. As a pastor's kid. Right? Temptations faced. Failure. Biblical guilt. Unbiblical guilt. Because when I walk into church, everyone's going it alone. Who am I going to weep with? Who am I going to weep with? It wasn't until my senior year of high school at the Christian camp that I went to every year since I was in third grade. There was a fella, I was, I was injured once again, so they were driving me around on a golf cart. And I remember having to sit in that golf, court, golf, cars, golf cart on the bank of the, of the lake and watch a competition going on on the water among the campers. And he sat there with me. And he said, Tim, uh, he said, 
I was your age once. I know all the temptations that come along with your age. And, and, and I know you've probably failed because I failed. I just want to let you know I'm here to discuss anything, anything with you. Because when I was growing up, I didn't have anyone to help me. And I want someone to help you. As I was growing up, as I was growing up, that was the guy. It wasn't until my senior year. I had struggles with the assurance of my salvation from ninth grade all the way through three years of studying in my Bible degree. As a pastor's kid. Straight up. I lived in abject fear of eternal judgment because of temptation that I had faced and how I had failed. Abject fear. And that's certainly not how the love of God wants you to live. By His grace, I persevered (laughs) and Him alone. But it would have been a whole lot better to do it with somebody. And you add to that, you know, your dad's a pastor. You shouldn't struggle like that. You should know better. And you add to that, Christian education. And you add to that, and you add to that. Certainly, we as individually, individuals reared that way should be dart-proof, <laughs> bullet-proof. And it just ain't so. God forbid. God forbid that any person or young person should be a grace church and feel they got to go that alone. God forbid. I know. I know what it means to have much of what you were taught undone by going it alone. And we don't want that for you. So let's do this together. Expectant faith not only leads to an interdependent faith in helping us get through affliction and also face temptation. but also uh, come to a greater maturity spiritually in relationship to our faith. Uh, Verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brother, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live... Our leaders, our leaders are encouraged when they see us living faithfully, which now means facing affliction together and facing temptation together. But what's he say here? We really live if you stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. And that prepositional phrase, in the Lord, means not just positionally, but practically. Being able to know the Word and live the Word together. 
For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? We've read that as we, notice how it continues, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete. Underline that word complete. I believe it's in reference to being able to stand firm back in verse 8. Complete what is lacking in your faith. Expectant, interdependent believers are always interested in helping each other grow in their faith. This is not speaking in reference to saving faith, right? I think Pastor Joe's put it really well this last week. He said, this is, this is about having confidence towards the embodiment of what is your faith. How do we keep growing that? How do we keep growing in our understanding of the Word of God, our doctrinal understanding of the Word of God? How do we keep going deeper in our understanding of the inspired, preserved Word of God? And how do we do this together? Yes, it brings great joy to leadership when in people in the flock are interdependently helping each other grow deeper in the understanding of the Word and their ability to live it. To live it. So again, we applaud your own personal reading of the Scriptures. We applaud your passion, your, your persistence to be here faithfully to hear it taught and preached. We applaud your desire to take an extra class throughout the year to grow your understanding of the Word. But can I encourage you with this? All those things should never stop. Because what I'm about to say, a lot of people here, and including my pastor friends, what they hear is, well, you're devaluing those things by what you're about to say. And I'm not devaluing. I applaud personal. I applaud public hearing. I applaud additional learning. We applaud those things. Amen? You got that? Amen. But all of them are helpful and they're useful. But the Word of God, can I say this, it's fully capable in and of itself. It's much more influential in your life if you're learning it together. Amen. And you're living it together. Okay? Much more effectual in your life. Much more effectual. It's effectual in my life as someone helps me live it as I learn it. So much more effectual in my life if I can help someone live it as they learn it. I remember years ago when we started to let people study God's Word together on Wednesday nights. It was a little awkward for some who had been used to just merely a Wednesday night midweek service all their lives. And I understand that. But then we had to expand it to Sunday evening services. And it became a little bit more awkward but then we had to expand it to Sunday school hour. People helping each other understand the word so they can go out and live the word. And I understand that's awkward. But what was awkward then is now natural now. Okay? And it should be increasingly natural. That's what the text of Scripture is teaching us. You want to know why? Because there's not one direct address made to a pastor teacher in 1 Thessalonians, in all five chapters. 
Okay? This is what God's people do together. This is what they do together. They want to help each other stand firm, and they're constantly wanting to help each other become more complete in their doctrinal understanding, more complete in their faith. What's it going to look like for the future? I don't know. All I wanted to let you know is, I hope all of you are increasingly at this church being equipped to do the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry is not merely painting and sweeping and weeding and mowing and cleaning. All those things are good and they're necessary in the practice of your spiritual gift. right? But it's every joint, every person supplying, helping every other person grow up into a fuller understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Okay? Helping each other grow. Stand firm in our faith. So really, folks, churches that preach well, churches that teach well, they're op- and they merely just preach and teach well, and faithfully attend well, those are churches that are leaving, them, leaving themselves wide open, wide open to the influence of unbelief. Mere teaching and preaching without application to the individual and the individual going forward with each other to take themselves deeper in the Word leaves itself wide open to the influence of unbelief. Why do a lot of churches that preach and teach well throughout the whole country continue to be affected by unbelief and discontents in their midst? It's because they're individually going it alone when they go to church. They're going it alone as they go to church. If we're going to be looking up well together, we had better be found living well together. And learning what it means to stand firm for truth and against error to the person. To the person. Okay. Let's pray together as we close. Our Father in heaven, we, we thank you that our faith is nurtured by interdependent, expectant saints around us. I thank you for those elders in my life at our church who help me look well and live well. I trust, Lord, that I'm seeking to assist those who I've had the opportunity to lead to Christ to do the same. And I pray the same for our leaders, both by title and by position. And every member and faithful attendee at Grace Church, may we look well together and anticipate our Savior's return, and may we live well together. May we continually be a people who are prepared to face affliction together, to face temptation well together, and to stand firm together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.